0: This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast.
1: I would say wholesaling is, is the easiest and takes the, well, I wouldn't say the easiest. I would say the most simple and takes the least amount of capital
0: mm-hmm.
1: up front to start producing. And you can do it super cheap if you just want to, like starting a wholesaling business, you could probably start doing a deal a month just off driving for dollars every day consistently. Having one dialing system where you're cold calling for a few hours a day and following up with these leads in a really cheap manner, and you can start doing deals pretty quickly that way.
0: You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan Farber, your host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate podcast. I hope you're all well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little background on myself. I work in corporate America at a software company. My side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight rental units and looking to add more this spring. I have House Hacked, Bird, Flipped, and done short-term rentals, to name a few strategies. My current focus is 20 to 30 unit apartment buildings in Ohio and Kentucky. I love to network and learn, so if you'd like to connect further, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or BiggerPockets. What's up, guys? Today we have a really cool episode today with Chase Craddock. Chase is a young gun investor from Louisville, Kentucky. He's 23 years old, and exactly what I think of when I think of someone that's on their way to becoming a millennial millionaire through real estate. And he's someone that I think any of you guys listening can follow their footsteps or just follow their strategies to achieve financial freedom and live the life that you want. So uh, as, as I kind of mentioned, he's got a lot of different projects going on at a young age, but um, primarily got into real estate through wholesaling, which for those that don't know is just the process of finding off market discounted deals through marketing strategies. And, selling those deals to flippers or investors who want to buy off-market properties and do whatever they want with them. He just transitioned into multifamily investing where he enrolled in a course and a mastermind group, which we talked about a little bit on the episode today and go through the benefits and the mindset shift. You might need to explore the avenue of paid coaching or paid mastermind and uh, break down the pros and cons of it. But He's got a really interesting perspective, especially from a young person that's on was on the verge of doing it and not doing it, and then decided to just jump in and start taking action with it, and now going to be really successful. So um, well, that's a little bit about his background and the theme of the show. <clears throat> Today's tangible tip, I'd say it's a very random one, but it is Zoom hygiene, which just has to do with... I think when people don't have their hands up on like zoom you can't see it sometimes where they have their hands down it always in my head makes me wonder if they're typing something and sometimes you can tell and we're all on zoom so much these d- these days and emails pop up and whatever you can't be fully focused the entire time but when I want someone to know that I am not doing anything else and I'm really interested in the conversation I actually make sure that my hands are visible if you're watching this on the video version you'll see that like either on my chin or just folded in front of my face but <clears throat> that way this person knows I am locked into the conversation and I'm not doing anything else I'm not typing I'm not texting I'm not doodling I'm just here being present listening to them talk and I since doing it now I appreciate or I look for it when people do it to me I'd say it's definitely an unspoken thing no one intentionally thinks about doing this but something that I think about now, when I know people are probably typing or distracted or multitasking when you're talking to them, and it's just something that I don't think any of us like when it's done to us. So um, showing the other person that is talking, you're not doing this, I think is only a boost. And yeah, I think it goes pretty self-explanatory in the sense of just not to do other things when people are talking to you if you want them to actually like you. So that's that's an obvious one, but the tip is actually just making sure that people can see your hands uh, I sound like a cop when I'm saying this, but <clears throat> anyway, you get the idea. So just a random one. Um better way to or way to just connect uh more more personally with people and have them know that you're locked into the conversation. So that was today's tangible tip. Without any further ado, great episode today with Chase Craddock. Chase, what's going on, man? Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, man. How you doing?
0: I'm doing phenomenal, man. I got air in my lungs. I don't have coronavirus. My legs work. Like, what more could you ask for? You know, you're in a I'll beautiful apartment, that, really. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's a good yeah. life. It's <laughs> all good. How how's the day to day in Louisville with coronavirus? Huh? Um,
1: shoot, man. I don't know. I don't go outside. No, it's a. Uh, it's pretty. <laughs> it's it's pretty good. I don't think there's really much. Um, I don't know. Anywhere I go is not close. I guess I play volleyball like one night a week, and that's fun. And play a lot of tennis, so that's outside. So
0: yeah, pretty much. Right. It, man. It's funny, <laughs> I say the same thing when people ask me, like, "What's going on?" I'm like, "I don't know. I don't go outside that much, you know. I'm, just kinda, <laughs> I'm with like the same three or four people, and you know, whatever." But anyway, man, coronavirus that's a whole other conversation. Maybe we'll talk about it, maybe not. But I'd love to just kick off with your background, how you got into real estate investing and what you do today?
1: Yeah, so in um, January of 2019, or December of 2019, we started looking at wholesale deals. We're looking at wholesaling as like a way to produce income. Um, So my girlfriend and I partnered up with somebody in Salt Lake City. We did our first deal in like two weeks. It was a real small deal, like 2,500 bucks or something.
0: Oh wait, but, sorry. Uh, one, one quick thing for those that don't know, can you just define what wholesaling is? Oh, so
1: wholesaling is just the art of find, finding deeply discounted houses or apartment buildings and selling them to another investor for them to hold or flip.
0: Cool. All right. So you get the first one in uh, or you get started in Salt Lake city. So love to hear yeah. about that.
1: Yeah. So we got started, and we were kind of doing like lease options where we were lease options only one buyer and we were really only making like 5k a deal or, you know, sometimes more if it was traditional wholesale. But so for the first few months, we were just doing a couple of deals like that um, to people that were in pre foreclosure. We did a pretty cool process where actually we, we would buy their property, lease it to them, usually for a smaller amount than their mortgage and then sell it back to them the same person who owned the house
0: before real quick what's a lease option and we're just i want to go through the whole progression here but for those that don't know i don't want them to check out early because they're not sure what the words mean just like you when you were first starting and a lot of this stuff seemed like what is this stuff so what is a lease option and like why did you do it as a way to keep getting started
1: so like i guess a traditional lease option is instead of buying a house traditionally, some people will sell them to people who can't really get loans, traditional mortgages for a property. So they'll pay the person with the property a down payment and then pay them a lease amount like they're renting the property where they have the option to buy it during a certain time frame.
0: Okay. Got it. So you kept doing that and what was happening next or how many of these were you doing? Like keep taking us through the progression because I think for a beginner wondering how to start doing this or what to think about when you're starting, it's really helpful.
1: Yeah, for sure. So we, we weren't really doing that much marketing. We were texting straight from our cell phones to these leads. Um, and then we would, we would do some cold calling. Um, not very heavily should have been doing a lot more, but we were doing like one to two deals a month at first to the first few months. And then I think I realized that the Salt Lake market was kind of more competitive than the Louisville market, just talking to friends that were in the Louisville market doing deals and stuff like that. And the marketing cost to get a deal was lower. So Mm -hmm. we decided to start marketing in Louisville. Um, We then hired somebody commission only to drive for dollars, which is just somebody who drives around and looks for vacant or just distressed properties in different neighborhoods, whatever neighborhoods you're looking for properties in.
0: Mm
1: and I think in his first two hours, he found an address in Newburgh. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that area.
0: I am, yeah, but you know, I don't know if I don't know if our listeners in New York yeah, are. Yeah, uh, they, they definitely will be, but uh,
1: yeah, just a part of Louisville. It, it's like you know, really, really good for investment, really buy and hold, little quick flips and stuff like that. And so we contacted the owner, and this this ended up being our first flip. We kind of. We were in LA, we called this guy, he wanted to sell for 57. We weren't that good at doing traditional wholesales yet because he hadn't really done them. We were doing them the other way with the lease options. So I called my buddy in Louisville and I said, Hey, I'm not sure if this is a good deal or not. Can you check this out? And he was like, yeah, it might be a good wholesale, which is when you just buy something that's distressed and put it directly on the market. Um, um, and then but at that time, I thought a hotel was kind of just like a quick flip where you put work into it and, and then put it on the market because I huh. had no idea I was wrong. But um, it didn't matter. So we got it for fifty seven. Ended up putting ten in it, ten to twelve in it, and selling it for one eleven nine. Wow! So like good really break. good first flip. Um, had a great experience. Haven't flipped one since because I don't like the three month
0: process with it. Um, mm-hmm. Got it. Okay, so just and we'll we'll keep progressing that. But for someone that's thinking about how to get started, if you were giving them advice on if they should wholesale, wholesale or flip, what advice would you have for them based on what you've done? Why to do one of them and how to do either of them?
1: Yeah, I would say wholesaling is is the easiest and takes a well. I wouldn't say the easiest. I would say the most simple and takes the least amount of capital
0: Mm
1: up front to start producing. And you can do it super cheap. If you just want to like starting a wholesaling business, you could probably start doing a deal a month just off driving for dollars every day, consistently having one dialing system where you're cold calling for a few hours a day and following up with these leads in a really cheap manner. And you can start doing deals pretty quickly that way if you're consistent with it.
0: So let's just go a little further down that path then. If someone is looking to get started in wholesaling, you've talked a little about driving for dollars, cold calling, what do they need to get started? What tools, what softwares, what people, what do they need to be willing to do? Like, like let's just, if you could rattle some of those off, I think those would be really helpful to people that are saying, all right, after this call with Chase, I'm literally gonna start my wholesale business today. I just need the, the little bit of the blueprint to get started. What do I need?
1: Oh, perfect. Love this question. <laughs> so I would, I would download the Dill machine app.
0: Okay. And um, what is that?
1: That is an app that when you're driving for dollars, you're able to click on different properties to upload them into a list, which then once you're finished driving for dollars, you can export. Um, and there's tutorial videos inside of Dill machine to show you what to look for and why you're looking for those certain things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, after downloading the app, Another video I would watch before driving for dollars would be Max Maxwell's video on finding the hot zip codes in your market. Um, That'll tell you where your buyers are buying distressed properties. And it will also tell you who your buyers are if you export that list and, and call those people as well
0: okay got it and then anything for a dialer are you calling these people yourselves on your cell phone or i mean anything? if if you want to
1: stay 100 percent cheap and almost free we started off texting by hand which i do not recommend because of the rules and litigators and different things like that but um, uh-huh. you can text by hand you can call off your phone a dialing system i would get it's like i think you can actually get for 90 dollars a month now is in zen, zen call um that's a good one and we go through all in to get that dialing system
0: okay did you did you say where to get the lists from or you get them from deal machine from yeah there? so from deal
1: machine i would there's an export um where you can export the list onto your computer yeah after you get it exported to your computer then you'll upload it to a skip tracing software skip tracing is just they, they search all the owner's names and addresses and send you back phone numbers and emails and stuff of that nature. So you can call these people and text these people and market these people.
0: Okay. Got it. So you were doing that for a little while and then you were doing some lease options and it sounds like you may have had a couple flips sprinkled in there, but, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of that, but what, what happened next after that or how was that going? And then where did it progress to? So after
1: that flip, we just continued to wholesale one or two deals a month, not really spending much in marketing, just kind of doing it. Just us two, my girlfriend and I. We kept on wholesaling all the way up till kind of January or December of January or January of this year, and really decided that to reach our goals, we needed to buy multifamily.
0: Hmm. So, let's talk about that for a sec. Yeah. So I'm very goal oriented. I'd say a lot of people that hopefully are listening to this are goal oriented. If they read business books or professional books and they just, they just want to make decisions. I, I think I say this to a lot of people, decisions are easy when you know what your goals are. Priorities sure. make, put a filter on anything that comes in bound to your life. If you know what your priorities and your goals are, then even if you get hit up for 50 requests in a day, you're going to know how to filter them because it's either they align with your goals or not. So I love how you started that that framework of, because of our goals, we change our strategies. So I'd love to hear about what your goals were or are, and then how you decided to pivot and change strategy with that goal change.
1: Yeah, so I guess the goals were with a wholesaling business was to just bring in multiple six figures a year and kind of not spend much time on that business. If any time at all, just so we could travel and do different things. Um, then, so we spent a few months trying to scale, spend more in marketing, hiring acquisitions, people doing those different things, um, was not as easy as we thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. We tried to take our hands off before we should have, and that didn't work. Um, so then it was kind of like, yeah, this brings in money, but it's really not worth our time anymore because our goals are real cash flow, not transactions, where if I want to be in Greece tomorrow and then Israel the next day, I can do that.
0: Love that. Um, I guess I have to ask that just because there's probably people listening right now that are going to be wondering how can you automate it or what steps could you take to automate it before you move on to your next thing? Because I think a lot of us would agree, and I do some wholesaling as well, that it can be a nice income stream if you have it set up the right way and it's good money. Like It's, it's a good business sure. and it's not too intensive if you can just get good enough at it. So for you giving advice to someone on how to kind of automate it or put process in place to step away from it, what's your advice to somebody?
1: Um, yeah, it's, it's doable for sure. And it's really simple. Um, don't take your hands off it too early, but, um, I would kind of, it's the first real step is kind of hiring an admin to handle all the back end stuff, because once you're trying to do more deals, you're going to have to pull more lists. You're going to have to have, you're going to have to be dialing more, which is going to entail hiring virtual assistants for cold callers or hiring people in-house for cold calling. Um, Mm -hmm we like the virtual assistant route either in the Philippines or South America or not South America, South of the United States, Jamaica, and places like that for cold callers. Um, I think, yeah, I think really hiring cold callers is kind of the first step. Yeah. One person who can manage your list is great because you don't want to look at that data all day long. You want to go out and talk to motivated sellers.
0: Got it. So they're good. The part that sounds like can be really automated is, Getting the leads generated, and then mm-hmm. the part that you can stay in your lane with is more or less strategy, and then closing deals, talking to motivated sellers, getting the deal closed, which might be a little more detail oriented or ta- skill oriented than what a virtual yeah. assistant can handle.
1: Yeah, for sure. You need you need sales skills if you're going to close.
0: Yep, absolutely. Deals. So let's say let's say they're teeing up leads for you they're putting them in your, your dialer and they're, they're putting them in a spreadsheet or a CRM and letting you know, hey, these are good to go. Then you call them. Is that pretty much the only part that you felt like you would then have to focus on if this was a, a system that was pretty hands-off or automated, just you close the deals and then you could move it on to, let's say a title company or uh, your buyer's list or, or whatever administrative had to happen to get the deal actually closed and under contract and put out to a seller, I mean to a buyer rather.
1: Yeah, so I think definitely um locking up the deal would be the most important part at that would be the most would be pretty automated at that point if you're just handling you're just handling all of acquisitions with hot leads that come in your CRM. Mm-hmm. Um, once you're under contract, obviously sending an offer for, for title work and making sure you're communicating with the title company. Um and then definitely finding a buyer is the next step, which people think is the easiest part, but it's, it's definitely not the easiest part.
0: So let's talk about dispo for a sec. And uh, all that really means for people that aren't sure, they hear the term dispo or uh, uh, I don't even, I'm drawing a blank on what it even says, or dis... Dispositions. Dispositions, perfect, thank you. That's basically just moving the property, selling it after you have it under contract or selling it in general, so getting rid of anything. So, um, how did you do it and how do you recommend somebody do dispositions? Once they have, they've done all the work to get that lead locked up and they closed it and now they're thinking, man, this is awesome. I'm going to actually make some money. And then they're thinking, wait, what do I, how do I get rid of this thing? Who, <laughs> how did everyone want to buy it? So like, what did you do and what do you recommend for people? So there's a few different strategies that, that we
1: use to get deals sold. Um, mainly it was our buyers. This is only, was only like a thousand people which sounds like a lot, but it's really not that many. I know people with like much deeper buyers that buyers this and that, but you're really only going to sell to like a handful of people. Um, the thing that we do right when we get a deal under contract will be to call our best buyers, buyers who usually buy everything. And if they're not interested, then send a text blast out to the whole buyer's list, an email out to the whole buyer's list with the deal pictures, all that stuff. And then really it's just filled in calls and texts and stuff back. And, and then talking to buyers and negotiating with buyers. And then once you're under contract with a buyer, you will then send their that side of the contract to the title company. And then you'll set a closing day from there. There's a what couple different, Oh, yeah. oh go ahead.
0: No, no, Go ahead. Oh,
1: I was going to say there's a couple different things for dispositions. Other than that, that's kind of, if you can find a buyer quickly, that's your way to do it. If you're having trouble, I think Facebook, market, Facebook Marketplace is great. Craigslist is great. Um, and then going into different Facebook groups that are in your area and posting that same landing page that you have for that deal in all those areas so other people can have eyes on the deal as well.
0: Yeah, Facebook is awesome. So powerful and so underrated in my opinion. Yeah, for um, sure. So, yeah, okay, that's great. And, and where I want to go next is transitioning that into then, oh, sorry, I actually had one tactical question. What do you use for text blasting?
1: Uh, Call Fire is what we were using at that point.
0: Was it a good tool?
1: Yeah, I think it worked great.
0: Okay, cool. All right. So um, just on, on the back of that, what I, the way I think about wholesaling or getting started with wholesaling is. And why I love beginners starting with it is because in my opinion, you you learn the most important skill in real estate or really like the most important skill in life, which is lead gen and systems with it. Like anyone that has lead gen kind of makes the rules because if you have the deals in a buyer's market, you're going to be able to make money. And even Mm -hmm. other investors, they're good at operating, but they're not so good at finding deals. So I love people that start with wholesaling because I feel like, you can then move into any other part of the business and do really well with it. You could flip, you could do larger projects multifamily where people have no clue how to find deals. And you have that wholesaling background that I think can be really helpful. So I think it's a great start a lot of times. So I'm curious for you um, how you actually got into then multifamily and uh, like what your first couple steps with it were to, to start moving into larger units or deal sizes or just change strategy.
1: Yeah, so the change of strategy was kind of I had been talking like all of 2019 that I really just want to buy apartments. Like we really just want to buy apartments. That was a conversation my partner and I had over and over and over again. And I guess it was kind of manifestation that somehow I um I stumbled upon Rod Cleef's podcast, the Lifetime Cash Flow podcast. Oh yeah. And so listened to it, loved him. And then I kept hearing him say that he had a coaching program over and over and over again every single time I listened to the podcast. <laughs> so so I signed up for a call and then I got um and then I joined that program and that was in January and that was in okay, if we're gonna join a coaching program, let's let's take this serious and start and start looking at this um the right way. And then buying into that group also gave us the connections to have the confidence to look at you know, 75 to 250 units, you know, in the syndication model and not having to worry about, oh, how can I buy a $10 million deal? That sounds insane to, oh, we can syndicate that because, you know, we can raise that money. it's like, it's a big confidence booster. I think hiring a coach is like one of the best things you can do in any business, like taking courses, hiring coaches and stuff. I know like, I know everybody's a coach now and everybody has a course, but like, if you find somebody that you really like and is adding real value, then I think that's one of the most valuable things you can do.
0: Okay. I, I, I want to just talk about this for a minute here. Cause this is so important. Like, especially for people like me coming out of the corporate world where coaching and masterminds is so airy fairy and people look down on it. They make fun of it. Having a coach or paying for education or a mentor because it's just different and in corporate, everything is kind of laid out for people. And it's, you hear it a lot in the entrepreneurial world and in the real estate world, it's the exact opposite. I've said this on the show before that it's, it's actually so refreshing that paid education and education in general is looked at as an investment instead of an expense where most mm-hmm. corporate people look at it. And I always go back and say, most people spend 200 grand on college and they don't even do anything with it. So explain that to me. So how did, how did you get over the hurdle of it? And if you don't mind sharing just like some of the numbers, cause I don't know anything about Rod's course. I know he's got a great reputation and he's an actual operator. Like he's not one of these gurus that gets the, the other flip side of it is there's gurus that the way they make money is by selling people courses. They don't even make money in the thing that they say they do as an operator anymore but Rod yeah. definitely does like he's down in Louisiana right now working on a big project. And I know he's just always operating. He's got a great rep- reputation. So can you just mm-hmm. talk a little bit about how you got over the hurdle and then how you thought about the cost of this? And then if you wouldn't even mind sharing the price of this, if not totally understand, but just, you know, giving people an idea of what to expect with this. Cause a lot of people are wondering, do I need to spend 50,000 or can I do this with less or how do I know I'm not getting ripped off?
1: I think I saw an NDA, but, um, <laughs> So it costs less than fifty, though, um, and, it, and it costs more know. than a dollar. So it's it's somewhere in between there. No, it was a it was a it was a big cost, and it was a kind of a hard pill to swallow when we did it. Um, but I had to pay way more money for it, really, um, for the connections that are in that group, and and just the the coaching in general, and what to look at they analyze like if I'm close to pulling the trigger on a deal or sending an LOI, I could just send it to them. And they're going to look at the same thing I'm going to look at and they're going to say, Chase, you missed this, 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 this is yeah. not a deal. Or they're going to be like, hell yeah, this is a great deal. Let's do the deal. And and even then when they say, let's do the deal, it's not a, Hey, Chase, we're partnering with you on this deal. It's like, Hey, if you need some help, let us know, you know, That's if awesome. it's a deal I can take down with my network. It really doesn't matter. They don't care. Okay, that's awesome. I think I think it's just like not being afraid to fail. I mean, I knew if I was gonna invest this money in myself and and my girlfriend too, that we were gonna we were gonna do it to our best ability and not put around and just call a couple brokers every once in a while and kind of look at multifamily deals like people walk into Lamborghini dealerships and look at Lambos type of deal. That you know what I mean. that was my thoughts on it but yeah yeah. so I'm glad I did it I think everybody should do it and I think that you I mean it it wouldn't be bad to spend 50 grand on a coach Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people that are listening to this aren't going to have 50 grand to go spend on a coach but like it it would be worth your money like that's how valuable it is you got to think you're spending way less than you would on college and you're going to make way more money and way better connections that you're going to have for the rest of your life
0: Fact, so, nothing, no, nothing I can no, really I mean, add to that. I mean, yeah. yeah, there's no, nothing I can really add to that. It just, it is what it is. Like there's, there's people that are going to be naysayers and then there's people that are going to just jump in and do it and get what they need to take action and take action the right way and be successful. And then there's sure, there's going to be people that, that spend the money and they don't do anything with it. And they say it didn't work. It's like a, a nice gym that you pay for that you never use or like the gym sucked. Well, nah, you sucked. So like, you know, it's, it's you, it's not the thing. Like if other people can be successful with it, then mm-hmm. you probably can also. So anyway, not to get too much on the the horse there, but what happened next? So you joined the course and now have you, what, what actions did you start taking next? Like what's happened since, um, I don't know if you've done a deal yet. If you're in the stages of trying to do a deal, like just bring us up to speed. So we
1: have not taken a deal down yet, but so we've been sending out a bunch of LOIs, um, we're being more conservative than I, than I think others are being, especially right now. So we were getting multifamily is a different ball game than single family. Mm-hmm. You know that I think a lot of people know that, but so at first, like with our wholesaling background, I was kind of like, we're doing a deal month one. This is going to be easy. I didn't think it was going to be easy, but I was like, we're going to do a deal month one because it's like, cause we get after it like that. Yeah. And I'm like looking at these numbers, like what these sellers are asking, and I'm like, dude, am I underwriting wrong? Like how am I so far off? So I'm mm-hmm. like calling people, I'm like, yo, what am I doing? What am I doing? Um, but <laughs> yeah, it's just it's been a super hot market and we're trying to do good deals in markets that we like. So and like, what are
0: what are those markets? Sorry.
1: So we're in we like Louisville, obviously, Lexington. Yeah, and then we have we have three other markets that we really focus on that we love Chattanooga Knoxville and Huntsville.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And okay. I just, I love those places and uh, I love those markets. People are still asking crazy numbers, obviously, but
0: those are yep. still, that's where I want to own apartments and, and what, what deal size, sorry, just unit counter. Like so like, count?
1: We have joint venture partners that are like looking for that 20 to 75 range And then we have people, like, or then we want to syndicate 75 to 200, really, is where our main focus is, but like the cash flow of 20 to 50, 20 to 75 range, too.
0: Got it. And can you just explain real quick what the difference between JV and syndication is? So what
1: joint venture is what JV stands for, and it's kind of just like I called called Jonathan, and I say, hey, add this 20-unit. You wanna partner on it, you can bring two fifty to the table, I can bring one fifty to the table. We'll split it this way, I'll manage the asset. It's kinda it's kinda getting where you don't add value to a deal, finding somebody who does, and you guys just
0: partnering on the deal. Can we walk through a quick structure of this? Like let's say you find a deal, right? And it's a million bucks. So figure you're gonna probably need uh, not necessarily, but you'll need somewhere maybe 300 grand with, if you're going to do yeah. value add, you're going to need some renovation budget, some CapEx. So how would, how would you set it up that way? Let's say, but let's say you, you've got a, um, a lawyer friend. Okay. He's got no, he can't spell real estate, but he loves the idea of investing in it and he loves the idea of partnering with you and also learning the business. So you found the deal, you hustled for it you underwrote it and you're going to be the uh, asset manager. You're not going to be the property manager. You're going to be the asset manager. So going to him, how, how would you structure that deal? So if, if he has no operating
1: responsibilities or anything at all, his operating abilities are in the courtroom, not on the the, the real estate. Okay, perfect. Well then I guess as good as he negotiates. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it, it really depends like on the person and experience and stuff like that. But if say it's my first deal, I'm not going to really, I wouldn't probably approach somebody with me keeping the majority of the deal if they're bringing all the cash to the table or a scenario like that. Now I would try to get as close to 50, 50 as possible. Um, where, I mean, cause I'll be completely making sure the man manage, management's right. Um, underwriting the deal and kind of, making sure the business plan is is done right. Now, yeah. I think it's probably typical if I'm not bringing any money to the table to be closer to 20 to 30% of the deal will be mine. And the rest would be the people who bring the capital to the table. But I mean, that's still sick. That's still awesome. Like that I can go out and do the hustle and get a big piece of real estate because I'm adding value to the person that's investing with me. Totally. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, and and like in that, so just to make sure I understand and the listeners understand is this person, this lawyer, they're, they're someone that knows you and trusts you. It could be a friend, a friend of a friend, whatever. Maybe you've talked to them about real estate and they're trying to figure out how to get in this game. They, they know they can't do it on their own. They work 80 hours a week, but they love the idea of it. And they actually like the investment side of it, but they just need an operator. So in that scenario, it, just to make sure I understand, they, they'd bring the, the down payment capital and maybe the repair capital. And mm. in this scenario, you'd be basically earning sweat equity in the deal for yeah. finding it, for negotiating it, for managing it after it gets purchased. And in that scenario, even not bringing money to the table, you could still have a 20 or 20 something percent ownership in the deal. I mean, again, it could be yeah. negotiated, but in the scenario, yeah. I just laid out for you yeah do you think that would be a fair um yeah
1: definitely yeah i think definitely especially like i mean the more experience you get the more of a piece of the equity you can get and obviously we like to we want to invest in our own deals too of course um but yeah i mean i think without bringing capital to the table i think 20 to 30 percent is really realistic if you're buying good deals because i mean if your investors aren't getting their money anyways they're not going to invest so
0: yep absolutely yeah okay so um, what are you guys doing now on a day-to-day basis to prospect for deals? Strange times, coronavirus times, stimulus times, non-evict times, depending on where you're at in the country. There's so many forces coming at so many different directions. Yeah. It's it's so hard to speculate. I, I was just reading, though, it seems like August, some of the the – the the stuff is gonna hit the fan a little bit more with some of the stimulus that stopped, but it's all speculative. So what are you doing to prospect for deals and what's your outlook for the next little while?
1: Um, So prospecting for deals, um, Lizzie, broker relationships, hardcore. She has, she just is on the phones with brokers all day in the markets we wanna be in. And and who's that? Lizzie, my partner. Oh, okay, gotcha. Girlfriend, partner. She wants okay, to call got my girlfriend probably first, but <laughs> uh, um, she's the brains behind all this. Uh, um, so yeah, she, she handles broker relationships. Um, we also do direct to seller cold calling, sending out direct mail, um, text campaigns, different stuff like that. Um, the majority, I mean, we're kind of on Facebook too, just like reaching out to other wholesalers in the markets we're looking for deals in because a lot of wholesalers don't know how to go direct to seller in multifamily. So, and I I wouldn't care to pay a $500,000 fee to a wholesaler if they brought me a good deal. Like if the deal works for me, I'd like to give you the biggest check as possible. So that's kind of how we will network with wholesalers that are in single family only and say, I mean, look, I can show you how to go to multifamily show you how to pull these lists, do these certain things in multifamily how to do some basic underwriting is to know what you're looking at, add value to them in that way. So then they bring us deals. So we've been using that approach recently to try to get more traction in the 20 to 75 space.
0: Got it. Yep. That makes total sense. So what do you think the next couple months will look like? Cause I'll, I'll just throw it out there in my opinion and uh, I'd love to hear yours. So like I was, I was hunting, I'd say really hard for, deals before coronavirus like my big 2020 goal like you was and and just for the listeners man how old are you again i love it 23 okay guys so you're not too young you're not too old to get started you're not nothing just start like for sure 50 and jump in you could be 19 and jump in i mean we've had people on the show that are 20 years old that made almost a million dollars so you could be 23 and take down a 200 unit deal no problem okay period so anyway my view, and so for my my personal goals, 2020, I wanted to get one uh, 20 to 40 unit multifamily deal done. And I wasn't planning on syndicating, I've been just saving and hustling, and I was looking for a certain type of deal. And I felt good about it. And my view was before Coronavirus, I felt like I had to jump really quickly and act pretty aggressively if a deal came across my plate before Coronavirus, because I felt it was going to be gone quickly. So I needed yeah. to let the broker know, I need to analyze it quickly and I might even need to overpay a little bit, but I'm, I'm basing it on where I think the property can be after it gets stabilized, right? Same as you, I'm sure. Yeah. So I was, I was like, I felt very uh, crunched every time a deal came through that I was going to analyze. Now with coronavirus, I'm still, I want that for the year. That's still my big goal for the year to get a deal done. But I've kind of leaned back a little bit And I'm working on a couple other projects because I want to see what's going to happen. I think there could be some opportunity and it's just, it's unstable right now. And I balance in my head, is that an excuse to not take action or is it smart? And I go back and forth on it, but I don't feel the same urgency um, when a deal comes through to to feel like I need to get an offer out in the next day because it's going to be gone. And some of them have sat longer than they were before that. So, uh that's just for, for like my background. I'm curious if you feel anything similar to that or what your view has been, I guess, like right now looking at deals day to day or you know, future if you think more opportunities coming, it's worth waiting, it's worth jumping in harder now, or or what or when? And we're recording this uh August 20th.
1: Yeah, so pre-COVID, it was kind of just I guess same thing as you, like let's jump on this. We need to get back to the broker in an hour. We need to make sure that we submit an LOI like in the next 20 minutes. We just got all the information. Um, But yeah, and and that was kind of our outlook at the beginning of that. And then, and we were looking at like on market stuff. So we were nowhere close at first because like brokers weren't seeing off market opportunities at that time yet because we had just started and we were just like first conversations with brokers. But I mean, as we progress, we get more deals and more deals and it's kind of, Calm down in a way like you're saying that it's not a, there's not like 30 minutes to respond to a broker before Blackstone comes in and offers him 100 million for it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And we've also became more conservative, as in, instead of looking at the value add model where we're cool with taking like no cash flow or maybe even like negative cash flow from like day one if the deal is going to be crazy good. Um, to we kind of want to see our cash on cash like by year two like and we really want cash flow now instead of buying for the value add play because we don't know what's going to happen i don't know if it's going to be the crazy crash or nothing's really going to happen in the multifamily space i guess nobody really knows everybody has an educated guess that you know is going to be based on their bias but We've we've actually started looking at hotel deals as well, because of how unstable and stuff they've been all year. Which those are more risky. Financing is going to be super difficult, but we're kind of not going too hard in that. But we do see deals, and and we would take them down because we do have um, people that are looking for that kind of asset.
0: Okay, got it. So just real quick, anything um, tactical for anyone listening that. Like you've changed in your underwriting, um, you mentioned the the less need for immediate cash flow on day one um, if you're going to be doing like a value add play. But like anything specific that you've changed in your underwriting that you would recommend for other people listening doing underwriting that could probably be a, a wise decision to protect themselves.
1: I think one big thing is like. When I'm looking, when I'm getting deals and I see rent rolls, Rick, in the last two months or three months, I've seen rent rolls from like May or, or like April, like people, and I don't know if anybody else has seen this or not, but I've seen like four or five instances where they're not sending me current rent rolls. And then another thing is when you're underwriting, make sure you see like collected rents and not what market rent is and what the rent is being charged as because we've seen deals where they were supposed to be collecting, say, their market room was 9,000, they were collecting 8,000, but the balance owed to them was 6,200 or something. Really, they're getting $1,800 in rent. Like, I'm not looking at that deal the same way I'm looking at something that's collecting rent.
0: Totally. I think that's so spot on. Um, There's probably... Well, we we don't know, but like, I liked how you said, we're all making educated guesses, which is really just what we're all doing. Everyone, some people are making more ignorant versions of educated guesses, I guess. (laughs) You know, they think their educated guess is reading one article and other people are in the numbers and still guessing, but no one knows. So it is interesting to hear your speculation and what that actually will be and, and go from there. So Chase, uh, I know we're, we're right at time here. I just want to uh, say thank you for coming on, man. And I, I learned a lot. I was jotting down notes, but it's just it's just awesome to connect with other young gun young investors, man. You're exactly what this audience is looking for and what this audience is of young people that are trying to get into the space and make an impact and uh, just do it, take action. So do you yeah, have any last sure. advice or parting words, comments for the group before we hop?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, really just stay consistent. Not everything's as quick as you think it's going to be. That's for sure. Um, Don't try to hop out of a business too fast because you think it's at a point where it's not. Um, But really it's persistence and make sure you're always learning and making connections with people like Jonathan and other people in his group and in other groups. Make sure you're always networking, talking to the right people and be grateful.
0: Yep. I love that, man. That's short and sweet, but that just drives the point home. So Chase, thank you again for coming on, man. I really enjoyed it. And I think people are going to get tons of value out of this. So best of luck in 2020 and beyond. I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more about you and your story in the years to come. For sure, man. Thank you so much. Hey, you millennial millionaire, do you want more? Then head to the Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate Facebook group, where there are tons of step-by-step walkthroughs, tools, templates, and free networking to help you achieve financial freedom through real estate. And if you want Jonathan to help you personally reach your goals, then feel free to set up a one-on-one call in the link below or message him on any social media platform and apply to, well, work with Jonathan.